Welcome to So Farscape. A funeral-filled Farscape fancast. With a uh, fa- frankly fascinated first-timer, frankly frilled, yeah. <laughs> and a frilled-up fan. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this, this is, is the story, story So Farscape. Farscape. We've just come off a three-parter. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that, Kay, because we've just finished watching Season 2, Episode 22, Dime Dichotomy. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the end of the last episode, you were uh, a bit sort of downtrodden because you'd predicted uh, in one of your bold bets Mm -hmm. that the the sort of liars, guns and and money arc would last for the the whole end of the season. But no, they cut it off one short and then they split the season ending. They went full Star Trek and ended it on a two-parter. Well, I have some good news for you because... Uh In the production, the last four episodes count as one block. Oh? So even though they were... Pr- that's a production block, not an actual... Yeah. <sighs> that's how they were treated as well. Okay. So there was the... Uh, we had the greatest hiatus before the last yeah. four episodes aired. So, Lies, Guns, and Money, one, two, and three. And then you have Diagonal Dichotomy, one. And then hmm, season three. Yeah. They weren't even sure that there was going to be season three. They were pretty sure there was going to be a season three. Right, but yeah. You never quite know. But for all intents and purposes, those last four episodes do comprise one arc. They yes. were filmed together. They're narratively, logically connected. Very and much even so. Though, yeah. yeah, and even though like this is a cliffhanger that gets resolved the next season, that was filmed months later after many more pre-production meetings. Mm-hmm. So to my mind, this counts as a four-parter. Okay. Well, that's very generous of you. Well, I think that's fair, because that's also how it worked in season one. Yeah. You had Nerve and the Hidden Memory, and then Bone to be Wild, which was weird. Weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) Very good. Good memory. And then Family Ties, which was a four-parter in three parts. Yeah. The the other way. A three-parter in four parts, parts, exactly. Douglas Adams style. I think this entirely counts. Oh. I think that you have, yeah, and I mean, that's good news, because you've been bleeding points pretty badly. It's because I've been making the... Non-safe bets. You know, I've had many opportunities to make safe bets, quote-unquote. Yes, I'm making finger quotes here on a podcast. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I like to go for the the wild bets in case they uh, pay off. Getting in the spirit of Farscape. Because, oh, yeah, we're talking about uh, episode 22 of season 2, Dime Dichotomy. In which... The crew seeks out-of-network coverage, a villain demonstrates bad mask hygiene, Eren takes the wheel, and Crichton is at a loss for words. Thank you, Horsebird. Hersbird, we're going to call him here. <laughs> In the season two finale, the crew attempt to get a snake oil salesman and his genuinely good and helpful accomplice to heal Moya's burned internals. In an episode where somebody's going to emergency, somebody's going to jail, and someone else may be going to their final resting place. Thanks, Wookie. Love, lies, licks, losing consciousness, and looting locks. Uh, thank oh, you, Jenna, for that one. <laughs> and is there a doctor on Hoth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the crew of Moya must freeze their Mivonks off while getting their yearly physical. Can they find the help they need, or will they just end up like Jack Torrance? Jack Torrance? No idea. Over our heads. Sorry about that, but thanks, Billy. So, yes, after we had the wrap-up of Liars, Guns and Money, uh, no, I still can't remember what that, like... No, you're right. It was Liars, Guns and Money. Oh, wow. For the first time. Not Liars, Guns and Machinations, (laughs) not Liars, Guns and Maybes. No, what I thought was really interesting was that we don't get any previously on Farscape. No, that's true. None of that is summarized. Yeah. You go straight in to find Moya and... Moya and Talon, you almost got me there. Yeah. Orbiting some icy planet 
Zan and Rigel wandering through her freshly burnt internals, where mm. the dialogue sort of reaffirms a lot of what we already know. I mean, this yes. was the advantage of like airing them all in a block. No one's going to come in the finale without having seen at least some of the very previous uh, yes. uh, trilogy. Zan is being very mopey, and uh, Rigel actually you know, gives her a bit of a talking to, I would call it. Yeah. We're dividing spoils from the depository. These were set aside for you to choose from, and I understand that... She is burnt. She's badly crippled because of our desires. Let go! Was all this wealth worth it? Of course not, you blue bitch. But what's done is done. Just as long as we're wealthy, huh? May as well put it to good use. And he just goes like, hang on, we agreed that everyone would get to pick a few items and everything else is going to go towards paying for Moya's repair. Yeah, so there. And she sort of takes on the role of Dargo and says, I'm sorry, Rachel, I misjudged you. Huh. It's becoming your career. <laughs> yes, she acts... Uh, Contrite about that, I suppose. Yeah, uh, uh, and I respect that. Someone yes. who can uh, be put in their place and, and understand when they did their friend wrong. Yep. Because it's not so easy for John. No, he is clearly suffering from having a, a neural overload mental breakdown because of the implant that he's got in his head. He is talking to Scorpius in the mirror. He is bashing the mirror repeatedly, breaking it every time, and it keeps reforming. Yep. Or at least in his mind it does. Yelling, I am in control of me. And Aaron comes in to help and tries to snap him to reality. Yep. Tries to make him confront. There is no mirror. It's already smashed. There's no Scorpius here. She is so resolute. She's so firm in her support of John, who is clearly and comprehensively losing his entire shit. Yep. She tries to get him to focus on the fact that there is no mirror. What do you see in the mirror? What do you see? There is no mirror. There is no Scorpius. Look. I thought it was... Beautifully filmed. Yeah. Rowan Woods did a fantastic job. Like you see the smashed mirror, and then you cut to John, and you cut to Scorpius in yeah. the. Yeah, and you see him mirror. smashing the mirror, and the mirror breaks and falls away, and then there's just another mirror behind it. Uh, yeah, still showing Scorpius. Uh, very well done that scene. And he gradually like seems to at least accede to what she's asking. She needs him to confront reality as it is, mm. and he says, "I accept it." But even then... Yes, even then you can see him turning into Scorpius. Yes. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of that. That keeps coming up during the episode where where you see John as Scorpius, actually completely done and made up as Scorpius. uh, Yeah. Which caught me off guard the first time I saw it. I was like, hang on, is that actually Ben Browder wearing Scorpius makeup and outfit? It was so well done and it was nearly a disaster on set because... From the start, the idea was, okay, we'll just put him in the Scorpius makeup, and Dave Elsie went off and did a sculpt based on Ben Browder's face. Yeah. They had a live cast, and that's great. I mean, everyone will be able to tell that it's actually Ben Browder under the yeah. makeup because his build is completely different. And then they got the first dailies in, sent them off to L.A., where David Kemper and Rockney Banner was. And was okay, really cool. But didn't we say we were going to put Ben Browder in the makeup? Why did you put <laughs> Wayne Pygram in the makeup? Like, yeah, we can't tell them apart at all. <laughs> And so they had a very quick meeting. Okay, so we've got six hours before we've got to film all of yesterday's scenes again. Yeah. How are we going to adjust these makeups? Give him less pallid skin, I suppose, is what they yes. seem to have gone for. Yeah. Exactly. Give him more color and his own teeth. Ah, yes. Okay. That, I... Instead of the, those chompers, which I'm sure Ben Brad was really disappointed with because he liked those, <laughs> uh, like those nasty little chompers. But John as Scorpius, <laughs> it's such a look. 
<laughs> and he it, talks different too. Yes, he, I, I notice he goes to a little bit more to his Arkansas drawl. Oh, really? At, I think so. At least at some point he does. I thought he was trying to do uh, Wayne Pygram's English accent. Oh, okay. To me, it sounded more like the way he talked when he got old in that time. Oh, uh, I know what you're what you're talking about. Yes, later on he sort of imitates John. Welcome to our world, baby. Him, yeah, that's that's Scorpius play, oh, playing. Yes, that's Ben playing Scorpius, imitating, imitating. John. <laughs> Damn, this is turning into like uh, the who's on first. So the reason that they're at this ice planet is because there's a member of a healer species here that can help Moya. Yes, and heal her burned tears. Apparently, a very skilled doctor. Of a healer species whose language is too complex for translator microbes, and so they have Grunschlick, yes. played by the recently deceased Hugh Keysburn, who originally, like, he auditioned for Dargo back oh, in the day. okay, yeah. Didn't get it, but uh, a fantastic actor who was brought in as Grunschlick, the sort of sleazy, long-haired, I'm trying to gross... Th- I'm, I'm trying to think of whom he reminds me of. It might come to me. Like, he reminds me of, like, various other flaxen-haired... Flaxen is really generous. This well, is yeah. this is just well, bedding hay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's got all these swords on his face. He's got a fantastic outfit. He's constantly eating, so he naturally gets on with Rigel very well. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, but I love this diagnosant Tokot. Yes, uh, they're called. Uh, he's called. It's it's this. Fantastic animatronic sculpt. He's got this sort of headdress, exposed shoulders for some reason, quite muscular. Yes, very strong arms. Uh, really, really wide set eyes with these sort of goggles that... Uh, little uh, flip downs in front of the eyes. It's looks very so good. neat. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Thomas Holgrove played Tokot. Previously also played the uh, the Xiang and I think a Scarron or two. Oh, okay. Yeah, so quite accustomed to being in, in the whirring expanse of, of servos that is the interior of one of these animatronic heads. Yes, basically doing a little... Look around Moya and deciding that, yeah, we can fix this. You know, just give her an anesthetic and he'll uh, just spray it around and it'll yeah. absorb it and it'll uh, dull the pain while the healing continues. And Which is translated by Grunschlick and they had such a cool dynamic. Okay, so Grunschlick does the haggling on yeah. behalf of Tokot, who he says is a greedy bastard. Yes. How did that read to you? Oh, like he was lying his f***ing teeth off. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, Grunschlick, uh, he immediately goes... By my calculations, let's say, uh, exchange equivalent with the meter and all of that, 12,000 kretmas. That's 15,000 kretmas. And it rapidly keeps rising. Yes. Expenses, experience, expertise, the meter is still running, 20,000 is the rate. He starts with saying, like, oh, uh, he's, he always says that I undercharge. Uh, and, yeah, no, totally not. He's like, <laughs> Which is, yes, he's right? totally it's driving the absolute, absolute opposite. opposite. Yes. So, yeah, they're being swindled by, uh, by Grunschlick, who also explains how the diagnosis works to, uh, to Chiana, who's very curious and sort of ignores Dargo's, like, chiding to leave him alone. Mm. Dargo does a lot of snipping and, and snapping and chiding of people he loves. Yes. He's being extremely controlling of the... He, he the, always kind of has been. But, yeah, right. Uh, he, he lets up of it when in, uh, on the good days, but this episode, not so much. He's a bit not- of back to the... Dargo that we know from the beginning of season one, I would say. So the Diagnosen has a particular, like, uh, a facility for intuiting uh, disease through inhalation. Yes. But he mustn't get the same bacteria through both his nose and his mouth at the same time. Because that'll kill him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got this weird mask, which the uh, Grunschlick actually opens up for him. I should have really mispronounced Grunschlick, because that's Because everybody else does. Yes, yes. (laughs) You sleazy confederate. Gun sick. Grun Schlick. 
Green slime, grand slick. Why don't the uh, translator microbes, microbes take care of that? Well, right? Maybe because it's a proper noun and they don't translate those? Or Ah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you'd have a lot more trouble with... Uh, I guess, yeah. Names with interesting phonemes in them, you'd think. Yeah. But then again, I generally understand thing that like everybody makes the sound as they perceive it, and they might not catch the nuances like with a tonal language. Like, you know, Chinese people, when they hear Westerners say something in Chinese, they kind of assume that they mean good morning and not your mother is a whore. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, tempo. Do you have a nickname for, for John Scorpius? Oh, Pius don't say Jorpius. No. I swear <laughs> to God, I had it written down. He's going to say fucking Jorpius. Fine. You know me too well. No, no, no. <laughs> Already our minds are becoming as one. Scorgen. Scorgen? No, okay. First thought, best thought. Jorpius uh, is roaming the halls. <laughs> he uh, uh, punches Rigel, who wants to talk, so that he almost chokes on one of the one of the jewels that he's actually, holding. Actually, how about John Harvey? Ooh, John Harvey. I like that. That sounds more like it. Uh, <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah. The Harvey educated John. Yeah, he does yeah. talk like that as well. But because it's like, it's not Scorpius, it's the Harvey thing in his head. Yes, and you're there, right. Therefore, John Harvey. Yep. John Harvey punches and, and almost chokes out Rigel. Yes. While Dargo is having another go at his son. Uh, he goes like, oh, we can, I can use my money to help you uh, grow your uh, tentacles back. And yeah. He doesn't call them ten- tenkas. Tenkas, that's yeah. it. And then he figures out that uh, they weren't like cuts from him, but he did it himself in an effort to like not look uh, quite Luxon. so Luxon. Yes, oh. because you know teenage rebellion and you know probably like staying anonymous as a slave, you know, trying to keep uh, yourself from being noticed too much. And he tells his dad, "It's such a great line. It's okay. It doesn't hurt anymore, father." Oh, yeah. Oh. Again, much like the last episode, I think it's such a shame we don't get more time to really develop these relationships, but Stark tries to negotiate with Grunchlik, who shows off he is heckin' strong. Yes, he just picks Stark up effortlessly, and Stark is no wimp either, as we've seen. Stark yeah, is strong as well, him, yeah. Yeah, we've seen him perform quite some, uh, but some yes, feats. But yes, the price has gone up to 20000 by now. Stark tries to be firm about it and call it on eighteen. But no, no, twenty it is. Everybody uh, nods. Zahn quickly goes like, take it, and like he literally says like before the price goes up again because like yeah. he, he's driving a really hard bargain <laughs> and he knows he's got them over a barrel. So yes, this is the take uh, it or leave it style of negotiation. Yeah, which is all too common in healthcare, unfortunately. Well, in countries where they don't have uh, socialist healthcare. Oh God, they could have used some of that on Moya because Aaron walks in on John Harvey in the neural cluster, who's modifying some communications technology outside of pilot's control. Yes, and he's uh, using the excuse that he's going to use it to keep track of Talon. Yes, that he's eavesdropping on Crace, which Aaron doesn't buy. No, and. Uh, this scene is amazing. Yes. Because it is not clear just how much of John is still in there fighting that internal battle. John Harvey is doing a great job of impersonating uh, uh, John. He's got the mannerisms down. Yeah. Uh, speaking with an American accent, he talks about that Harvey leaves him alone when he stays busy or when he sings. Yes. And then he sings Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> That's got to be real John trying to communicate to her. He sang that before in Crackers Don't Matter. Yeah. You know, when he lifts up his, uh, his sword. <laughs> like trying to communicate to Eren that he's still crazy and that she shouldn't listen to him, but yeah. she doesn't get it. No, she is being 
very physically affectionate. Yeah, I noticed. I know she's like very touchy feely, very yeah, unlike the Erin we usually see. Yeah, her guard is down because she wants to be there for John. She wants him to feel loved. Yes, right. Because she tells him, "I want to." I'm reminded of a word that you brought to the ship. Hope. Hope. Yes, and it's something that she wants him to have. I would be lost without you. Then you'll never be lost. It yeah. makes it very clear that she very is staying reassuring. here. Very And yeah. he tells her he loves her. And he and she says it right back. And it's and that and that's when we see another cut back. And it's Harvey who smacks her head against the wall and licks her face. Yes, and that's okay. At, that, at this point, I'm getting a little bit confused because, you know, normally Aaron would have responded to that. Let's put it like that, especially after a moment like that. I mean, it, it's, she's been knocked out. Oh, is that it? She's unconscious. Oh, yeah, her oh, eyes are closed I, and she's just slack. Oh, I missed that. Oh, damn. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, that uh, must have been a really weird experience I was just then, like, okay, you... yeah, why she's, why she's like taking this in stride the way she is. Well, we know that John uh, sort of took it in stride when Jelena sort of kissed his eyebrow. I'm like, oh, apparently that's how, how sebaceous do it. So yeah. I guess you expected that she just thought this is how humans do it. Yeah, they sort of lick each other's well, nostrils up to the eyeball. Well, that's why I was wondering. Like, yeah, that's why I was wondering she why she wasn't responding to this, and why later on there, there's talk about how he knocked her out. But yes, yeah, exactly. Very little about Skull anything fracture. else. Yeah, moves pretty quick. This episode, loads uh, of stuff in there. We have Christ talking to Talon, arguing with him about uh, recruiting Erin. If she joins us freely, we will tell her the truth. Which of truth is this? Whatever we don't later, know. Later on, there's a mention of a chip. Yeah. Which you can see him holding in his hand, and I believe I only got a brief glimpse at it, and it seemed to have some sort of peacekeeper design on it. Very good. Good yeah. eye. Yes, it did. It's, it's one of those peacekeeper chips that I think we've seen it before. That's where a message was stored. Okay. Uh, do you remember when he killed Lieutenant Teague in season yeah. one? They had oh, a, it's, right. it's one yeah, of those yeah. storage devices. Dargo has another run in with Jothy yelling at each other before Jothy goes and confronts John Harvey, mm-hmm. who's still frelling with the, uh, with the communication system, yep. trying to tell him to stop. And that, like, threatening him, I'm going to have to stop you. And John Harvey is, he's letting down the pretense, oh, you really should have brought a pulse rifle. Yes. And he goes like, no, I don't. And we get a little uh, Jar Jar Binks scene from episode one. Yes. Where, where uh, Jothy tries to use his tongue to do the Vulcan neck pinch, but he gets <laughs> it grabbed by John Harvey. A very intimate thing to do for a young man. Yes. And then he yanks him close by the tongue, knocks him knocks out. Knocks him out. Very Ooh. much like your father who... Then does actually knock him out with. Yes, the, he's standing uh, in the corner with the uh, the Luxon <laughs> tongue pinch. Let's call it the Luxon tongue. tongue oh, l- l- Luxon tongue pinch. It's like <laughs> wow, that sounds like a sex thing. I'm, let's not commit to that too much until we find out whether that's a sex thing. No, and, we, hey, baby, I'm gonna cool. go with Luxon tongue pinch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John I mean, it could be multi-purpose. <laughs> Tongues. Well, in my experience. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, John is strapped to, oh, they're more balls. It's a sort of a bed made of, a mattress made of balls. Yeah, I noticed that. That was kind of cute. Strapped down to an examination table in the OR, which looks to be, it's a facility on the ice planet. Yep. That ice looks planet like it's zero. built in a skeleton. I, don't, I think it's just a frame. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, it could also be like a spine and a rib cage. 
I like see what some you mean. Kind of local megafauna. I see what you mean, but it seems like a weird thing to build all that clearly technological structure underneath that. It could also be an antenna array, as far as I'm concerned. Right. So this OR is where John is strapped down for his examination by Tokot. It's a, it's a clean room, and there's all sorts of cool stuff going on. He's going to investigate how to uh, extract the chip from John's brain now that it's clearly able to control John. But none of that matters because my eye was focused on only new jackets. Mm. Crace has got a new jacket. It's a sort of quilted red and black affair with a red arm. And Stark has and a sort of fur uh, poncho as well. It seems to be a cold facility yes, inside there. and they've all got cold outerwear. It's yeah. so great. Crace's jacket still has the uh, peacekeeper thing. on Earth. Red and black yeah. really does it for me. He looks uh, fantastic in that. It does. I'm not sure why he's there, but he just pays respects or be genuinely friendly. Yes, John asked him about that, and he says, Make a gesture of support. While everybody else is with Erin, who's recuperating from her... Uh, Skull uh, fracture, head yeah. trauma, yeah. The sort of green, oh, what was it, biological neutralizer feels yes. turned on, so the Tokot can take off his headgear, and we get to see his face. He has such an interesting face. Apparently, the actor Thomas Holgrove and Dave Elsie sort of worked together on this performance to get a sort of Peter Cushing vibe. Okay. Which I mean, is yeah, often a touchstone. He has a very high-pitched voice, very feminine-sounding. Yes, voiced by Fiona. Ooh, I forgot what her last name is. But it was sort of like it was directed to be high and feet with a bit of a lilt of a Kalahari Bushman. Okay. Oddly I'll take specific, your word for it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we get to see a really cool effect when the brain um, machine gets turned on because it basically turns his skull transparent. It's and you can so see this good. black mesh, kind of oily, kind of slimy. These tendrils running over his around brain. his cortex, yes. So. What did you feel at this point? What did that look like to you? Oh, I was like, okay, so that like that's more than a chip that's been implanted. That's right? like like a complete neural net covering the cortex. So I, yeah, I figured like, okay, this, I guess this must have grown over time, or like he just like got implanted with something that then kind of spread out, uh, feeling his its way around John's brain, trying yeah. to get to the wormhole information. Scorpius wasn't kidding when he called it a seed. Yeah, and Grunchlick is slack faced. Doctor doesn't often say this. There's nothing he can do. That thing in his head, he, he can't get it out without killing him. Which turns out to be not entirely true. Uh, so we don't know if Greg Grunchlick was lying here or if the Doctor was playing something. Because we get this whole arc about getting a replacement body for John, which oh, turns out to nothing yet. Not in a replacement body, but replacement parts. Oh, okay. Interesting. No, okay. How how did you read this? Because I got, I got the impression that they were going to like put him in a different body because like they had all these bodies in oh. storage there, and he's going about being compatible. And I got the imp impression that they were going to do a body transfer. So I'm not sure what parts they would want to replace his brain. I mean that that's pretty much the same thing as doing a body transplant if they, if you're going to do a brain if you're right, going to do yeah. a brain transplant. Except so, you can keep using the same actor, I uh, guess. Well, yes, that, that, that's one of the things that I was kind of figured not, that was not going to come of anything, but it was definitely so, something that... Part of this uh, medical facility is that it houses, uh, according to Grunchlick, frelling millions of cryogenically preserved, not corpses, people have, who've been frozen micro before their death. death. Yes, which uh, Zahn takes great offense at. Yeah. But the good news is among them are three, they're called interons. Yep, and apparently they're compatible. Yep, cousin species, he says that they're, uh, well, they're... Bipedal, central spine, organs internal, or oh, single heart circulation, a small head. Uh, 
you know, close enough. Right. If those are the requirements, then I it mean, sort of looks like we've met... Grab a sebation and you'd be fine. But, seems yeah. like, right? But this is considered a compatible donor, which would make his brain operation possible to restore, because that's what wound up being the plan, that removing the chip would cause significant brain damage, potentially lethal. Yeah. But a compatible donor, at least a chunk of that brain can be repurposed to, right. uh, to fulfill the functions so that are being replaced. So that's what they're... Okay, yeah, I, I kind of miss that. I thought they were just going to do a body transplant. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the episode moves at a fair clip, but not so fast that we can't spend a little time with uh, uh, Stark and Dargo, who are applying the anesthetic, the gaseous anesthetic, to the oh, interior. Oh, yes, of- I-, I thought it was hilarious because, like, no, it's, <laughs> it starts with Dargo and Chana having a bit of a husband and wife uh, argument. Yes, they're having some relationship BS. I mean, Dargo's actually apologetic for the fact that he's been spending so much time with Jothi, which Chiana is perfectly okay with but yeah. she still would like her issues addressed and that's yeah. and those are not the relationship issues Dargo is trying to make it about no I thought it was a really interesting approach because I mean, Chana seems almost again the, the, the most emotional mature person on the ship at times it's <laughs> but she doesn't have the confidence to like overrule Dargo who yeah. is used to like exerting this kind of authority and while this little domestic is going on between them you can see Stark standing in the background waving this smoke hose around <laughs> like he's like like he's got a hooker which he's forgetting to take to uh, hits off talk, yes. and he's just completely like like spaced out expression on his face as he's applying the anesthetic Aesthetic to uh, to Moya, and then when Dargo comes and helps, he can't feel his tongue. Uh, yeah, that's later, yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah, you see uh, Anthony Simcoe standing there with his tongue half sticking out of his mouth, like trying to talk through to like he's drunk or anything, and they're like, <laughs> "This is a guy. I don't feel my tongue. Whose fault is that?" We it's know hilarious. that that's not nearly half his tongue. Uh, no, we <laughs> sorry, yes. No, we know oh that God, it's... imagine that! He'd be tripping over it. <laughs> I mean, I've said that figuratively, but... Uh, yes. Pilot is also frelling high. I am higher than life I've ever been. My position is fixed. No, no, no. I'm, I, I mean, the drug in Moya, it's, it's messing with your brain. Yeah, a, you're tripping balls, I would say. He's getting a contact high. <laughs> yes, of course he's, like, linked to Moya. Uh, yep. While Chiana and Jothi are talking about, like, they have very similar problems with uh, With Dargo, with Dargo. yes. Because, like, one of the things that Dargo has been talking to Jothi about was, like, oh, yes, I want to, like, use my part of the money to settle down and buy a farm somewhere and, like, just live the quiet life. And Jothi confesses to Chiana, like, I was a slave. I was chained to the mines. I don't want to live a quiet life. I want to go out there and live loud. loud." And, like, you can see Chiana's eyes lighting up at that point. Yeah. And especially when a inebriated pilot shows a hollow of Dargo practicing a proposal to Chiana, you can see her going like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Chiana had a lot of trouble with the sort of closeness with Jossie, Jossie. I mean, Gigi, my mistake, Gigi Mm. Edgley had a lot of trouble with it, and they said, no, we want Chi, not G. So just commit to it. She did a fantastic job, but... Gigi did not love this arc of uh, oh, okay. getting so close to, I mean, her boyfriend's son. I thought it made for a very interesting arc, because we know that Dargo is about 30-ish. Young for a Luxon. Chana is late teens. 
We don't know her age. I mean, no. she, for her species, she's also young. Yes. She, yeah. But yeah, she codes as a, you know, late teens, somewhere between 15 to 20, yeah. depending on what kind of uh, role pattern you want to yeah. attach to it. And Jothi is like yeah, a little bit younger than that, but not much. Yeah. So age-wise, they seem to be more compatible. And also interest-wise, they seem to be more compatible. Yeah. I thought that was a really powerful arc between... Uh, I sort of imagine her like doing a pros and cons list in right, her... Yes. Like, a, 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 like a, do a, I go with daddy or do I go with son? It's yeah, like, so one of them wants to settle down. That's not quite it. The other one wants to live loud. Both of them have amazing tongues, okay? So... Yeah. What am I going to do? Fewer tenkas on Jothi, so... Right, uh, but I don't know. I mean, she's, like, not used to species with tenka, so it might be considered nice to have, but not a must-have. <laughs> oh, another couple that get on really well, Rigel and Grunchlick. Oh, yes, because Grunchlick is, like, munching down a bowl of porridge or something. That's uh, a lot of chi- lumpy porridge. Chiana, oh, sorry, Erin comments on the fact, like... What a surprise to find you eating. Because, like, we've seen him with these yeah. little, I think they're like waffle cones filled with some sort of green goop. Is it which like a he's been... space burrito that he's always yeah, munching look, on. I was thinking more like, you know, little waffle cones. And now he's got what could be chili, it could be sweet. I have no idea what it's. It's, just... it's pinkish with white lumps in it. Uh, it's amazing that she says it to Grunchlick and not to Rigel who yes. would normally be the one that you're uh, eating. Because Rigel is talking to Grunchlick about alternate means of transportation, and they're playing a little bit of D&D. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because Rigel keeps rolling D20s at him. Yeah, which are called, like, oh, there's a small stone, and oh, no, there's two small stones. Each time Rigel adds a requirement, and Grunchlick isn't very uh, enthusiastic about it until Rigel throws a D30 into his porridge. Uh, <laughs> a D30? You've got those? Oh, uh, yes, you do. I thought it was like a D100. Those are the big ones. Uh, well, D30s are pretty big, too. Uh, what sort of shape are the faces? Are they triangles? Or? They're diamonds. Oh, in, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. And they're, they're arranged in fours and fives. It's not an archimedic shape. So traditionally, a the, the standard D4, D6, D12, uh, and D20 have uh, the same number of edges on every vertex. Yes, they're regular polyhedrons. Yes, and these are each face has the same shape. Yes. But not each vertex has the same number of uh, lines coming from it, from it. The more you know. <laughs> and now Grunchlick is a little bit more enthused and uh, uh, agrees, open to like, the possibility yes. of providing other transportation. Secure, fast, and I don't remember what the first third one was, but... Depends if we want speed, stealth, or strength. That's the one, yeah. And apparently the big rock is good enough for both. But yeah, the way they roll, it's just like any... Role player knows that sound. It's just like the sound of like <laughs> dice clattering over the table. <laughs> Speaking of role playing, John is strapped to uh, another examination type table. This time in the maintenance bay, he's got those cool lights around him. It's a very sexy pose if you're into that sort of thing. But mm. Zan is there. He's mentioned. She's mentioning that everyone's making plans to leave. And oh, John Harvey plays another fantastic gambit. Says that. He doesn't know if he's going to survive this uh, this surgery. There's so much that he hasn't said. And he begs her to join with him so that she can absorb all these thoughts, tell, maybe eventually get a message to his father. And you see, like, Jorpius's makeup, <laughs> like, just sitting there and, and trying to talk to Zan. And she's being taken in because he knows how to play an empathetic person's emotions until she finally does do the unity and is just overwhelmed by the savagery and horror 
of uh, uh, Harvey's John mind. John Harvey's mind, yes. Uh, I'm not quite sure where that was going, what, what he was hoping to achieve by that, other than just traumatizing uh, Zahn. And escaping again. Oh, that's it, of course. He used it to wing his escape. There's, because- a, there's a little cool moment in there where he says, Ah, tenth level power. Pity. A twelfth could break this bond. Yeah. As if he's got experience with Pa'uls yeah, and their unity. Cut to Talon, where Krace is making his offer to Eren. On behalf of Talon. Yes. He says that Talon chose her because he... I mean, he starts by introducing himself, by introducing his parents. Unlike your institutional upbringing, my parents were compassionate, moral, emotional. I value those traits. They're beginning to emerge in you. He sounded a little bit smug about that, actually. It's like, I was raised by normal people. Yes, yeah, she was raised in a regiment, but his parents were moral, emotional, empathetic. They were farmers. They they kind of beat that out of you you after they uh, shanghaied him, but, you know. It's something that he's learned to, like, revalue since he ran off with Talon. I mean, we see him almost getting broken by that when he was uh, in uh, Wastface's... Maldus's... Maldus's fun palace. palace. (laughs) (laughs) And he tells Eren that this emotional ship needs guidance, and he's chosen her. This emotional ship has sailed. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, She seems to agree to go with him if John dies. That's like at least the thing I got from that scene. Right. Yeah, she's like, okay, I see this, I appreciate the offer. She doesn't say it like that, but that's kind of how he presents it to her. Like, yeah. should, should it all hit the fan and things break down here, then, you know, this offer's open and she seems to agree to that. But we don't, never get to see that resolution because Talon sounds the alarm because John Harvey is uh, taken to the Farscape module and flying off. Yeah. Grace very specifically tells, like, Talon to not shoot him. You will not shoot him down, Talon. Down, boy. Yep. <laughs> Keep that gun in your pants. John has a few seconds where he's able to talk over the comms that he's not in control, and before he can even say the word, John Harvey is, is behind the wheel of the Farscape cockpit, yes. taunting Aaron, who goes Immedi- off in her prowler, yep. but not before thanking Crace. Yes. And then we get... A fantastic scene. Okay, good. Because if you if you hadn't liked this sort of dogfight chase scene, if you'd sort of rolled your eyes on it, that would have been the end of this podcast. We could not have proceeded. Okay, no, no, okay. I have one issue about it, but that comes up later. Yeah. John Harvey is flying the Farscape 1 module around while he's communicating with Scorpius. Yeah. And he's trying to send out a signal to Scorpius that he wants immediate extraction. While uh, Krace and Talon try to fragment and break up and block the communication as long as possible, buy them some time. We get an amazing scene where they are chasing down between the icicles of the uh, of Hoth, flying through the uh, the cracks of the ice field where John Harvey is trying to claim the fact that, like, oh, you might be a good space pilot, but John was trained in to fly in atmosphere. And I'm just Against thinking, like, gravity. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm pretty sure that peacekeepers uh, train and fly with that sort of thing as well. It's. It is a very exciting moment, though. Welcome to our world, baby. Beautiful scenes of flying through these caverns and chasing after one another. Erin showing her resolve that when she gets a shot, she's going to take it. And that's what, what Dargo from, uh, from right. Royce Command yes, says. He says. Don't from- hesitate. If you get the opportunity, don't hesitate. What makes you think I would? Because if our positions were reversed, I would. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, and then there is a scene which I am really suspicious about. Tell me. 
because there is a very brief shot in which Harvey, uh, John Harvey pulls up really quickly uh, yeah, out of yeah. this calling, and Aaron goes careening off into what looks like a cave. Yeah. But for a brief moment, it kind of looks like a wormhole. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> I know the exact shot that you mean. Oh, <laughs> I think, okay. I'm, I'm going to have to unfortunately like break that down. That last bit that you see is actually an ice wall with light shining through yeah, it. Yeah, which she goes breaking through. But for a brief moment, it kind of looks like a wormhole, especially when immediately afterwards oh, bursts wow. out and there's like into, into this clear field. And for a moment there, I'm thinking, and because again, John Harvey makes a comment about welcome to my world or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And you're just sitting there like, okay, did she just like pop to earth or something? Because there was like... <gasps> Whoa! So I'm not entirely sure whether or not we're like dealing with alternate location stuff here like this i'm, I'm holding like, my like, option like some kind of unrealized reality yeah something like that there's like lots of other stuff happening which is going to need resolving at some point okay. unless we're using major cast members this is amazing <laughs> fantastic yeah well okay we're gonna to have to make some bets on that okay. i think and this is where we get to a scene where i'm just a little bit uh, uh i mean we've had the cool dog fight and now they're just flying around and apparently Erin is not aware of john harvey flying on her high six Right behind her, above her, she's like flying straight ahead. She's lost him. She's not trying to find him. She's not looking around. Yeah. And he's just kind of like flying above her there. In her blind spot. In her blind spot. I mean, your high six isn't exactly your blind spot. Low six would be a much better blind spot. But Well, this is what Jorpius has apparently selected as his only mode of attack because, as she's yeah. pointed out, he's in a craft with no weapons. Yep. And even with gravity and atmosphere, she is the superior pilot. Yes. Darling. Uncontested. Uh, and he goes like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to, like, surrender then and uh, I'll land. Doesn't make any mention of where it's going to land or anything. And yeah. she's completely unsuspicious or at least unconcerned about it. Grace isn't. Officer Sun, trust nothing. Oh, hush, Grace. She doesn't need you to tell her that. But it sort of makes sense because Scorpius is a, he's a peacekeeper commander. Mm. If anyone knows the specific limitations of prowler design... Right. It's going to be someone in such a command-level position. Right, presuming that he's had any direct interaction with that. But Scorpius seems to be the kind of micromanager who would uh, exactly. get, get involved with that sort of thing, or at least learn about it. He is a strategic thinker, so yeah, he's the one who can figure out if an unarmed craft is going to have any chance against a prowler, it would have to be, well, what he winds up doing. Yeah, lowers the landing gear, punches a hole in the prowler by basically bopping on top of it. Yeah, just smashing down through. Those prowlers, not very tough against rubber. I mean, it can smash through an ice wall, no problem. No, but like having a, land, having a landing gear. But just gear, getting bumped yeah. on the noggin? Yeah, that's a bit odd. But like, you know, let's like do a little plot hand wave here. So this whole script process was really fraught. So it was written by David Kemper, who talked about that he'd written this outline for this episode, and he was working to deliver the script. And then he didn't feel like the dogfight was working, because initially... The purpose of the dogfight would be Aaron's like, air superiority. She would have to shoot down John's craft and then feel guilty about that. Yeah. He'd be severely injured, and then the surgeon would help him. And David Kemper didn't feel that that was working, and so he remembered a piece of advice that he once got from another television maker, er, writer, which is that if a scene isn't working, flip the motivation and see what happens then. Okay. Give each character the other character's lines and see how that works. And so he started thinking, what if John Harvey actually does defeat and kill Aaron, yeah. how does this play out? And 
they were waiting for a shooting script. We need it now. We need it now. And instead, he'd just thrown out 30 pages that were no longer in there and started delivering, like, scene by scene. What? But you were so close to finished. Yeah, I started over. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, she manages to eject, but is unable to get free of the ejection chair. This looks so good, by the way. This yeah. is... We almost didn't get the shot of the ejection because that was such a, like, this whole sequence was storyboarded and in an incredible rush, fantastic CGI work, and no one was sure whether they could find the budget, another 10 or 15 grand yeah. for this ejector seat. And then one of the animators stayed overnight to just complete it on his own to create this rocket seat. It looks amazing. And she's coming down. Oh, the brake rockets have fired. Don't worry, I'm going to be okay, she tells Chris. And then John Harvey has to come in and taunt her. I inform you that you descend not over solid ground, but a frozen lake. And the rockets are going to burn through that. And there's no way for her to... To escape. No. John actually manages to break free of uh, Harvey's uh, control there for a little bit towards the end. And finally they get to talk to each other. The harness is jammed. Your frilling tire must have damaged the mechanism. Karen, listen to me. This is John. It's John. Yeah, is it really you, John? Yes, listen to me. I mean, she doesn't know that at this point. I mean, she might be able to tell from his change of tone, but... And, and I guess she's just willing to accept the risk because what harm is it going to do her at this point? Yeah. She's a soldier. She knows she's minutes away from death. She doesn't have any options. And so she tells him... I hope you meant what you said in the neural cluster. I did. <sighs> and he has no idea what she's talking about. He doesn't remember. No. He, he wasn't uh, there for it. Yeah. So why does a ejection seat not have a flotation device? I mean, you'd think that you'd, like, you know, occasionally have to eject over water. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. It's kind of, I mean... I it might be broken. Yeah. Okay. I mean, normally you'd be able to get out of the harness as well. Yeah, I mean that's assuming that she has a parachute. She'd have a backup parachute, which you know, if you if they trust the, the rocket landing system so much. I mean, the rocket landing system works great. She she gets a soft landing on the ice, and the, yeah. which then breaks through. You'd think that'd be like you know, life vest or some sort of flotation device involved. But you know. I imagine that there are, but they would be predicated on being able to get out of the chair. Which or maybe the chair just like you know has a uh, complete flotation device mm -hmm. attached as well okay. you're just like floating around in your chair that wheel it seems to make sense because if you're like if you're knocked out and you can't get free of the chair you would oh, you would, yeah, think, you would think that you know an unconscious pilot would still be kept safe in the chair yeah it's it's incredibly generous of uh, <laughs> uh, the peacekeepers you'd think that they normally treat their pilots like tie fighter pilots are treated yes. which is i mean we've got a bunch of them we'll just throw them out there i mean in real life the pilot is so much more valuable than the craft Oh yeah, all like the train is yeah. just a few million dollars on a budget, but a pilot takes years to train. Exactly. And so yeah, whatever is like GTFO, you know, it's like eject. And well, I guess it depends on the sort of military economics of the country in question. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's been any many frivolous ejection court martials. <laughs> no? You haven't been to the kind of parties I've been to. <laughs> Frivolous ejections left and right. Okay, so, but I'm going to assume that the chair is just damaged and that it's not able to Fair perform enough. these functions. Yeah. And she goes into, I mean, this was tough to film. I can imagine, yeah. It's like drowning scenes can always be harsh, yeah. She's got her wetsuit on, uh, uh, Claudia Black, and she, and they weren't prepared for how murky the water was. Oh, okay. And she is strapped down and she has to go down and like, 
do a soft internal count while she's acting underwater mm-hmm. and count for herself how long she's got before they're going to bob her back up to the surface so that she can yell Crichton's name and then sink back down. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. It's uh, it's an emotional scene. Everybody then, else, while they're listening to her drown, is like reaching out to the people that they, I guess, feel closest to at that point. I mean, physically closest. Chiana and Jothi are close, and they grab each other. Like yeah. she's grabbing onto Jothi for anyone. Uh, you Zan see, and Stark are also doing their little head touch thingy. Rigel touches the person who matters most to him himself. Oof. He sort of touches his mouth. No, but it's a, <laughs> okay. it's a. And John is just sitting there losing his shit while... Okay, so what did you think? Erin, you see her going down through the water and you see her hand just sort of slackening. What were you thinking? Okay, I I guess I've gone a little bit cynical and my main thought was probably plot armor. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, how are are they going to resolve this? Then I didn't really feel the, the, the terror or despair or the anxiety of the character actually dying. Yeah. Which they did a very good job in trying to like bring that back with the next scene when they go straight into the funeral scene. Yeah. They're, again, still, my cynical uh, movie no, viewing self is, is still sitting there going, like, this okay. This is fair, right? This is part of the experience. Now, I'm, yeah. go- I'm not going to say one way or the other, right? We can. I'm preserving your innocence. But mm-hmm. as a fan of this series, you've just watched two seasons of it. Yeah. A very central part of that is John and Aaron. Nobody believed that she was going to just straight up die but nobody was certain either no because uh, it is farscape and gosh they're willing to do some shit yes very true i mean it wasn't quite the thing to do yet at that point it didn't become such a thing as with uh, game of thrones and several other uh, series that i've watched right yeah which are yeah very much willing to kill off some major characters back in the time that farscape was made like the main character still had no, much I... more plot armor at that point certainly with such an expensive series and they only like yeah killed them off when either the actor wanted to leave we get the uh Put the fun in funeral. Oh, yeah. Very well shot, very touching scene where everybody is saying goodbye to Aaron. Chana kisses her. Rigel puts his badge of office, I guess. It's something that we haven't really mentioned, even though, like, on this watch-through is when I noticed it. This is something that he stole from Durka's corpse when he was on... Uh, oh. Like, or that he stole back. Right, so Durka took, probably took it from him when he was, like, torturing yeah. and tormenting uh, Rigel and... And later on, like, you see it hanging off of the rest of uh, Rigel's clothes. He wears it quite often. It's this sort of uh, sash bandolier with a medal hanging off it. And he says that she's more worthy of it than he, he is. is. Yes. Yeah. Dargo gives her his quarter blade. Mm. I mean, this is a, a, a Viking burial, you know, or an yeah. Egyptian burial with treasures. Zan is saying her prayers uh, and asking for the blessing and the guidance of the, the goddess. Beautiful. Uh, everybody is they're not quite saying amen may the goddess recite your name on the whispers of the wind amen amen okay. or amet it clearly has the same meaning and then john at the end walks towards the well, let's call it a coffin i mean like crypts yeah it's like one of those cryo freezer, freezer, yeah, but asks for uh dargo's blade which takes him a little bit convincing to uh, hand over yeah john is not willing to elaborate on it further give me your knife he's yeah. got like his wrists and ankles are shackled at this point yeah he kind of holds it like almost it almost makes it look like he stabs himself when he leans over the uh, casket but no he just uh, uses it to uh, cut off a lock of uh aaron's hair aaron's hair yes while he he leans over and he says that he loves her yeah and he kisses her on the lips and he walks away grace is actually 
crying, cracking up a little bit. Uh, God, she, yeah. He was showing a lot of very uncharacteristically emotional states that we've not seen Craze before. I mean, when, a, when Aaron was going down, his scream. Yeah. I mean, he must also be feeling, because of the sort of the hand of friendship, the neural link, he must be feeling Talon's pain as oh, well. Oh, of course, yes. I hadn't considered that. Next up, though, as soon as this is over, John is back on the operation table, and they're starting work on getting the thing out of his head. And don't you want any of your friends here? No. Just... No, just go ahead and do it. Zahn is confronting a incredibly high pilot. Oh, yeah. he's. <laughs> I mean, he's sad, but he's also still really fucked up. <laughs> and Stark is there talking about how, okay, everybody's making plans for what they're doing next. Zahn says, well, my responsibility is to Moya. She was yep. left in her charge. And Stark... By, by the makers, I believe. The builders, the builders. yeah. Very that good. was it, yes. And Stark says it would be his privilege and pleasure to share the future with her. Yes. Aww. So that's his own little proposal towards her. Grace uh, holds that chip. He's talking to Talon. Yes, oh, that's, that's, that's the scene where he's holding the chip and where they're about talking about the thing that tears. they were... Yes, because now they can't tell her about whatever it was they were going to tell her about. Yes, Talon. I, too, would have liked to have shown Aaron what we learned from this chip. I think it would have made her the happiest soul among us. Very difficult for Lani Tupu, who was not informed. What is what, what he this, was like? What this plot is? Just sell it. <laughs> kind of S- like uh, sell what? Yeah, Mark Hamill had when he was like doing the big reveal about Darth Vader being his dad. Yeah, his hand's just been chopped off, and, and he says, "Luke, I am your father." And I think the original line that was recorded I was, "I killed your father." Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe the the line as spoken by uh, the Scottish dude Prowse was it David Prowse? David Prowse, yes, yeah, who physically played Darth Vader yes. in the films. Oh, it sounds hilarious if you listen to the audio which was like you're the, part of the Abbey. rebel alliance yes. and a, oh god i'm gonna upset some of my listeners who no i know it's supposed to be a black country accent i can't do a black country accent <laughs> we get which i thought was a really cool scene where the doctor is probing through the memories he, he tells john that he has to be conscious because he's not familiar with human yeah physiology. they don't have a brain map yeah so he has to be conscious and tell me what you're seeing and we get these Really cool flashbacks of various parts of his life. Stuff about, you know, the... the uh, all the critters, critters that he's met? Fought. Yeah, no, get rid of it. Yeah. Dogs. All of my dogs. Necessary? No, but keep it if you can. American s- politics. American uh, Nixon to Kennedy right, yeah, or whatever. Get rid <laughs> yeah. of it, yeah. No. <laughs> Lose it. <laughs> and lastly, Aaron. Yes. We don't see whether he keeps that or not. Oh, we have a lovely little scene. I really enjoyed this between Rigel and Grunschlick. They don't seem say much, but they're chilling in one of the chilly chambers. Yes. Grunschlick uh, seems to have delivered whatever it is that Rigel has uh, demanded of him. Transportation, we presume. And these, like, they relate to each other in a way that neither of them could relate to, to, to anyone else. Because they're such, like, conniving characters. Uh, uh, Grunschlick says, it's too bad, eh? And Rigel says, yeah, but that's life. Mm-hmm. Chiana and Jothi are oh, uh, yes. getting closer again. Getting they very are. Close they to almost, actually making out. Yes, just, and then Mifong blocked by Daddy. Tenka blocked, yeah. <laughs> Who's in the corner? Let's stay close. And after the surgery, we're going to have to talk about the rest of our future. Which is not what either of those young people want to hear. No, because Chiana is thinking like, oh, shit, she's going to propose to me. Jothi knows, oh, he wants to buy the stupid farm, which I don't want to live on. 
Uh, and, and yeah, that's going to come to a bit of a head, I suppose. Because both of them love him. They yeah. love Dargo, but that means that they can't really tell him that they don't want what he wants. Yep. So that's going to be fun character emotional resolve for episode one of season three, if they get around to it at that, by that point. Or yeah, like, I was going to say, I mean, who says they'll even remember, yeah. right? <laughs> well. This could be like Sliders, where you just start off a new season with a different cast and you don't mention it. Okay, let's hope not. I don't think so, but... This seems to be like the kind of thing that like Farscape would like keep developing on because that's one one of the things that's been very strong. It's like there's been a consistent character development for everybody. Farscape has a memory. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of memories, memories yes, I was yeah, going to say good, good. good segue. The Doctor finally finds the wormhole stuff. Yep. And John is very excited. Starts yelling, but oops, it's really close to he your was, speech he was, Yeah, he was warned for that. Like, so I can take the chip out. But uh, it's probably it's going to like mess up your speech for a little bit. But I can probably fix that. Yes, with one of those donor pieces. Yes. Yeah, but not everything is going exactly according to plan. We no. see Grunchlick running through these frozen hallways, followed uh, by peacekeepers. Yeah, with Braca in the lead in his in his cool sort of biker outfit. It leads him to the uh, place where Threling all the bodies millions. are stored, yeah. uh, stor- stored, while the doctor is like performing the extraction, uh, pulling the chip out of his head. Yeah, he's got a he's got an apple coring device on a long Ish, like yes. and sort of drills that into his brain to looks, extract a little yeah, cylinder. Looks, looks a bit like a number ten socket wrench, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he pulls this little thing out. It, it kind of looks like one of the Matrix worm thingies, but a shorter version of it, and it's got this little <sighs> radio frequency induction spiral on it. It's a surprisingly big chunk of brain yes. that goes into this little into this little jar with the rest of the chip on it. Bracca, meanwhile, is trying to uh, find Grunchlick, who has cunningly hidden himself in one of the uh, freezing pods. Very clever, Grunchlick. Covering his eyes uh, like yes, a like Scooby-Doo yes. and then sort of peeking through the fingers. But yes, it's one of those waffle cones, like you mentioned, yes. that leads Bracca there. And now, okay, Tokot repeats the same thing a few times, which I think is because there was a, a commercial break in between. He repeats that, okay, extract first, then repair, extract first, then repair. Yeah. Uh, and now he starts to prepare for the repairing, but he is interrupted. The green-lit neutralized OR is breached by None Freling. other than Scorpius. Yes. <laughs> Who greets Tokot with Hello Doctor So good to see you again Oh no, quite the contrary really Um, My uh, cooling apparatus is just as functional as the day you installed it Eternal thanks Oh, did you say the cooling system? Yes Oh, okay, sorry Tokot Performed right. the surgery. Yes. Okay, sorry. I, I, I misheard that because I, oh, well. I thought he was talking about that Tokot was the one who installed the, the brain bug on John there. Oh. Oh, wow. And I thought that's what he was talking about and that they were in cohorts about that. Oh. Which would have also made sense. I am so sorry for, <laughs> like, breaking that down for you because no. that would have been a, a, a wrong but really fascinating yeah, I know. kind of... So, okay, well, uh, how are you interpreting this scene, then? Okay, thank you for uh, installing it. Thank you for taking it out again and getting me the information that I wanted. And now I'm done with you and, and killing you. Because that's what literally what he does. Tokot walks yeah. out of the field to uh, cordially greet Scorpius. A former patient of his. Who then rips his uh, protective mask off, coughs in his face. Well, he doesn't cough, he just, just exhales. Yeah. Uh, and thereby very rapidly killing Tokot. Oh, so, my God. 
I mean, that would have made just as much sense, maybe even more sense than thanking him for the cooling system and then killing him anyway. Now we have Scorpius wandering around the bed where John is still talking gibberish. He doesn't have his language centers. He yells at Scorpius where uh, Scorpius says, well, don't need to translate my grill for, for, for that one. That yes. one. And he, uh, Scorpius literally says, like, I condemn you to live. So that your thirst for unfulfilled revenge will consume you. Despite his previous promise that after having the, uh, extracted the chip, his death would be painless. Well, John has frelled a lot with him in the meantime. And as, as Scorpius says... Has he? has he really, though? I mean, Blowing up the base that he was in, well, uh, stealing all of his money. Uh, uh, no, he never stole his money. Turning his girlfriend against Scorpius before Scorpius could kill her. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, details, details. He it's, says he... I mean, I thought this was interesting because I don't think we've ever seen Scorpius this cruel before. Ooh. Right? He has what he wants. He has this chip. Yeah. He even leans it on John's head for just a little bit, showing yes. off and, and sort of regards he has the thing that he wanted most and John shouldn't matter to him anymore. But he does not brook disappointment well. No. And he wants he John def- to he, suffer. He specifically says that. And I do not suffer disappointment well. Lots of incoherent screaming from Ben Browder. He must have had a lot of fun. Yeah. This last scene, this shot where we end, to be continued, John with his brain exposed and screaming... David Kemper mentioned, like, he had that in mind from, like, halfway through the season. He <laughs> knew what the final scene was going to be, and then the job was to work toward it. John, incoherent, his brain open, no surgeon around to help him, no friends around to help him, yeah. Scorpius walking away with exactly what he wanted. Fucking wow! Yes, that's like a bit of a season cliffhanger, if you've ever seen one. Yeah. Let's just sort of recap. So the villain got what he wanted. John is not just... Mentally damaged, he is neurologically damaged. Yes, he's strapped can't, down. Can't talk right. Tokot is dead. Grunchlik is captured. Aaron is dead. Yep. None of the other people who can help him are anywhere close to being able to. No, everybody's on Moya. Presumably there's a command carrier around. Uh, actually, no, they talk about a marauder, but they, they might have just used that to land. Very so good. We, we don't know whether or not uh, Scorpius arrived with his command carrier or just on the just with the marauder. I mean, we've not seen any scenes on Moya uh talking about that so i guess they left themselves a lot of leeway in that regard to see how they were going to yes uh, that was a little bit slack i thought because they did talk about how john harvey managed to send a a, a communication out into Mm -hmm. the space and so they must know that scorpius must be on his way but none of them are in a particular rush to get out of there no no take the the pressure was sort of sort of taken off i guess it's just one thing that they're ignoring plot wise i suppose so yeah i guess that wraps up season two with Another little, well, no, we're not going to have an hiatus, but we are going to have a, a season wrap-up episode. Yes, yeah. So we'll keep our focus on this on this episode. We'll talk about all the perspectives that we have on season two and predictions that you have for next season next yes. time. Hey, I do want to announce something that's kind of cool. Some of our listeners have sent in questions for you or for the both of us. Because uh, last time that we did a, a season wrap-up, I made a little trivia quiz for you. Which is where you first gained the significant amount of points that you've been uh, yes. uh, that you've been spending on bets this time around. We thought it would be cool to ask our listeners if they had any burning questions, and 
I've already gotten to see some of them that we're going to be uh, that we're going to be answering. They're very, very good. Fantastic. That I have sounds, a lot to look I'm, forward I'm to. I'm so excited about getting the chance to uh, answer these questions that the listeners have. It's like it's going to be a fun uh, little challenge for me. And for both of us, I get to join in as well. Ah, okay. Putting the fun back in funeral. All right. It, yeah. We have one more thing to do for this episode, which is, of course, the Willies and the Woodies. Yes. She gives me a Woody. She gives you the willies. I guess my willy probably goes to the descent into madness of John, right? The first scene. Oh, that seriously gave me the willies, that scene. That's so... Tell me why. It's just such an emotional thing to see a character that you care about so much just lose it in such a way. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's... I mean, just to lose as well. Yeah. Traditionally, John is the one who initiates the actions. He is the, yes. he has agencies just about every episode is driven by John's insights and decisions. Not this time. No, it's like whenever he does anything, he's, he does it as John Harvey. Yeah. And it's uh, Scorpius's little device, which is making him uh, act and do things. He yeah. has lost so completely. No, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Woody. Well, there's two candidates for that. One if oh. uh, one is Bracca's coattails. Wait, Bracca has coattails? Yeah, it's when he was walking through the freezer department. You can see like he's he's walking through the swirl and he's got these beautiful long uh That's coats. Scorpius. Is that Scorpius? Bud? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Scorpius well, got the coattails. Oh, but... Okay, sorry. I thought, I thought it because it was in the chasing uh, scene, but yes. Right. But the way that moves, I thought it was like some sort of tentacle beast floating around first between the legs <laughs> and the coattails. So, but no, that's <laughs> no, that's not going to uh, uh, get my woody. It's going to the memory cutting scene. The <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> well, the exploring the memories and the poking around. And yeah, that, I, th- I thought that was fantastically done. That's like. Oh, yeah. It was a bit of a production uh, uh, hassle as well, particularly the, uh, the sort of sequence of all the images of American politicians. Yeah. Like, that was a lot of clearance to be able to get really quickly uh, to. Yeah, uh, I can imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. My willy is probably going to go to the exposed brain because. Oh. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's great, but I mean, it was cast to life size, yeah. Right, so they took a they took a head cast of Ben Browder, and then they sort of sculpted this brain to fit inside. So it mm-hmm. is a life sized brain for an adult Western man, yeah. Uh, and then put that over in a transparent dome and did this fantastic composite. And a little black netting around it. Yep, Woody's going to be the dogfight. Oh, oh, the chase scene through yeah, the through the ice, good. like yes. oh. oh. When I, I I remember when I got the season two DVDs or the the last batch of DVDs because they came in batches at yeah. the at the time and like that was the one that I fast forwarded to do and just watched over and over. It's so cool. <laughs> it is very well done. Yes, a uh, very worthy Woody, I would say. And that's the story so far, Skate. We will see you next week with our uh, season, season two, two recap. Up. Yeah. yeah, we're going to reflect on the last season. Maybe do some predictions for the next one. And we're going I'm to answer some sure questions. sure there's going to be lots of predictions. Hey, we still need some uh, some synopses for season three. You can send your synopses in on sofarscape.com slash submit. You can find us at sofarscape on Facebook and Twitter. And we have a few new subscribers to our Patreon. Yes, uh, thank you to Axicore for uh, joining our uh, patronage. That's a clear fan of Farscape. That uh, that is the name. Uh, they oh. actually named themselves after a character. Yeah, I haven't met them yet, oh, but okay. uh, uh, going to come up. Really, really cool. Uh, thank you also to Brennan. 
And Jess for uh, that's our mutual friend Jess. That is, it is. Thank you so much. Excellent, excellent product. Oh God, she's got an amazing helmet. Is what she's uh, focusing on. Garuda Studios, I believe, is the uh... very good free plug. Totally (laughs) deserved. She makes excellent stuff. And thanks to Izzy as well for their their contributions. And if you want to help chip in, keep the lights on at the at the Soulfarscape Studios. You can chip in on our Patreon at soulfarscape.com/support. Thanks to everyone who has supported our our Patreon. We've been really blown away. As promised, if there was anything left over for after uh, paying for our hosting and the, and the technology that we use to actually make this show, we solemnly swore to spend it on only absolute rubbish. And Kay, actually, we haven't talked about this because oh. without consulting you, I've placed an order for a present for you that hopefully will come in next time and then we can talk about uh, uh, whatever that may be. Oh, I am excited. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so far, Scape, so good. good.